to the new Black Society podcast with Nate Wilson, providing key insights to the most important stories affecting the Black community. Here's your host, Nate Wilson. Welcome to the new Black Society podcast. I'm Nate Wilson, your host. Episode four already. Here we go. Today's a special podcast. No guest today, just me talking. I'm talking about one of the biggest cinematic music video specials to ever hit the airwaves, apps, and television screens. I'm talking about Black is King featuring the one and only Beyonce. Now, for those who have no idea what I'm talking about, I'm going to break it down for you. Black is King, it's a 2020 American musical film and visual album directed, written, and executive produced by American singer-songwriter Beyonce. We all know who Beyonce is. Uh, The film serves as a visual companion to the 2019 album, The Lion King, The Gift. It's a tie-in album curated by Beyonce for the 2019 remake of The Lion King. So basically, it's a music video, but for like every single song on The Lion King movie remake. She's done this before, of course. She did it with the iconic Lemonade album, which she did in 2016. I remember just about every black woman's head exploded when that thing came out. But that was so huge and rightfully so, rightfully so, excuse me. People forget that Beyonce, she's been doing this type of thing. I remember she had a whole music video album for her self-titled debut album. Well, it wasn't her debut album, but I think she did it for for the Beyonce album, the self-titled one back in 2013. So she's not new to this, but her latest was absolutely, I thought it was just an A+. I was so blown away by this. Uh, I absolutely had to do a podcast on it. I have so much to say that I didn't think it made sense for me to have a guest on this one. In fact, I might just have another one with a guest just to talk about it. Uh, But I think that this is an absolute game changer. This is an absolute game changer. And Beyonce and her husband, Sean, They are what I call game changers. You see, there's three types of people in this world. This is just my opinion. There's three types of people in this world. There's those that play the game. There's those that watch the game. And then there's those that don't know that there is a game being played. It's one of my favorite quotes. I heard it years ago, and it stays with me to this day. I'm going to say it again. There's three types of people in this world. Those that play the game, those that watch the game, and those that don't know that there is a game being played. The overwhelming majority of people in this world fall into the third category. They don't know that there's a game being played. They don't see it. They don't understand it. They don't comprehend it. But it's there. There's a game. Now, you can't change this game until you first win this game. You can't win this game unless you know how to play this game. I liken it to basketball. You just can't run around the court with the ball in your hands and not dribble. Imagine you're out there on the basketball court. You get the ball and you just start running around like a little baby that found your smartphone and you're just running around with the ball. What do you think everybody's going to do? They're going to look at you like you're crazy. What the heck are you thinking? What are you on? What are you doing? Do you not know the rules to the game? If you don't know the rules of the game, sit down. You got to play the game the right way. You got to think about it. Think about how you learned how to play the game basketball. You had to watch people dribble. You had to watch uh, people 
shoot. You have to understand you have to dribble every one and a half steps. You have to learn how to shoot properly. You got to learn how to flick the wrist. You got to learn how to rebound. You got to learn how to defend. You got to learn how to triple threat. You got to learn the difference between a box and one and a two, three zone and a three, two zone and man to man. You learn the difference between a two pointer and a three pointer and a free throw. You learn the game. Then you go out there and you play or you watch. But when you play, it's only when you play, you have an opportunity to win. And when you win and you win big, and you can influence others to play the way you play, to play your rules. Keep going with my basketball analogy. Look at MJ, the GOAT, Michael Jordan. He played the game. He won the game. And now he's an owner of a professional basketball team, the greatest of all time. He manipulates the media. He has the presence and the brand to influence millions to go out Buy his merchandise because they want to be like him. You cannot change the game until you win the game. And you can't win this game until you play this game. Beyonce, ladies and gentlemen, Beyonce Knowles Carter. She's a game winner. No, scratch that. She's a game changer. She's a game changer. A lot of people want to criticize Beyonce these days. A lot of people have a critique for Beyonce and the Blackest King visual album. I'm positive that they will. It's going to be all over Facebook. It's going to be all over Twitter. It'll be over Instagram. It's going to be all over YouTube. There's going to be a ton of reaction videos. There's no doubt about that. They're watchers of the game. Some people don't have an idea that there's a game being played. See, on the surface... You could see a stunningly visual Afrocentric one in one hour and 25 minute music video, and it's loosely following the Lion King soundtrack. You can see the colors, the imagery, the dancing, uh, the embracing of West African culture, East African culture, South African culture. Uh, I saw my favorite Afrobeats artists. I saw Pataranking. I saw Wizkid. I saw Burner Boy. Well, I heard Burner Boy's songs. I didn't know that Yemi Holiday was oh she's curvy oh my if you don't know yemi Aladay, go go check her out um i remember she came on the scene with that johnny video but uh let's just say she's curvy uh i saw my uh favorite south african artist basiswa i saw mr easy it's your boy easy and my second wife tiwa savage uh they were all in there they were all in the music video uh some of my favorite Afrobeats artists were there the video this video, this work of art, the music, the sounds, the story, it's a game changer. You're going to hear perfectly engineered Afrobeats, hip-hop, R&B excellence. If you haven't seen it yet, that's what you're guaranteed. You're going to see more African imagery than your eyes have ever witnessed on a pop culture stage. You're going to see an extraordinary consolidation of colors. You can't in any way, shape, or form not feel this sensational pride of being black, having melanin, being of African descent. You're going to be proud. If you have a soul, if you know what it is to be black, you will feel something powerful watching this. Again, you can't change the game until you win the game. You can't win the game unless you play the game. Beyonce, she is American. She is African American. She's American with African heritage. Where in Africa do we know for sure? 
I don't know. I don't know if she knows. Maybe she does. I hear she's got a lot of Yoruba influence. None of us really know for sure except for her. But within us, we know. And unless you're African-American, you won't know. You won't know. She gets it. Her and her husband, Sean Carter, they understand this game oh so well. They get it. You see it. It's in America. We have this game. This game was called Life, Liberty, and the Pursuit of Happiness. It's evolved over time. It's now called capitalism, influence, and branding. Just like what Lil' Kim and the Locks used to say. First you get the money, then you get the power, then you get the respect. Money, power, and respect, that's America's game. That's the game, ladies and gentlemen. That's America's game. Money, power, and respect. More specifically, the manipulation of money, the manipulation of our minds and our hearts and our belief systems. What we believe determines what we make true. And if I can, through my imagery, my offering to society, if I can somehow influence you to believe me, to believe what I'm telling you, to believe what I'm singing to you, I've got you. Both Sean and Beyonce, they have a combined net worth of like one and a half billion dollars and upward. They're they're like the embodiment of an American power couple. They are America's wildest dreams. And for some America's nightmare, they are the living example of my point. They've won the game. They've manipulated their money to be so much in abundance that they now have this intrinsic connection to an ability to create the way they want to create. 10 years ago, you wouldn't have seen this. Remember when Beyonce was singing gospel songs at the end of her albums? I remember when she was on Destiny's Child, they were singing gospel songs. It's a lot different now. 15 years, think about this. Could Beyonce make a visual album like this? Could she display this sort of imagery? Could she do this? I don't think so. She hadn't won the game yet. But you look at it now. And you see for yourself that they've amassed the sort of wealth that legends are made of. You can see for yourself that they've used their music and branding to create a global audience of diehard fans that take time out of their day to literally abuse and argue with anyone who dares to criticize her. I'm talking about the beehive. The first hive was Beyonce's. There's a literal audience of people who will take time out of their day, log on to social media platform of their choice, and seek out people who criticize Beyonce, the artist. They haven't even met her. But they're willing to go to bat for her. They're willing to go to war. That, ladies and gentlemen, that's power. And power is influence. Influence, it's getting you to do something. It's getting you to spend your time out of your day watching, looking, absorbing what someone has created for you. They have the cachet. They have the platform via Disney to share it with you. And people waited. People looked at their calendar. They marked it down. Blackest King is coming. It's going to air. And the time came. And people got the app. They paid that $6.99. And they watched every single minute, every single second of it. It's a testament to their extraordinary platform, their extraordinary branding, their extraordinary range. This is an example of someone who has won the game. And now they're looking to change the game. Black is King is a game changer. 
And for the first time in my life, you see someone with such a platform, such a level of popularity and notoriety that delves this deep into African culture and they make it digestible for a global audience. Ladies and gentlemen, that's nothing short of phenomenal. And the thing is, Beyonce, she deserves this moment. I hear some people chattering on social media. Maybe it should have been a different artist. Beyonce deserves this moment. You know why she deserves the moment? Because she's the hardest working woman I've ever witnessed in show, bu- in show business. Fun story. Years ago, I had the pleasure. I'm going to say now, the pleasure. It was, it was a pleasure then, it's a pleasure now. I had the pleasure of seeing a Destiny's Child concert by accident. Destiny's Child, for people who have no idea, is the group that Beyonce used to be in. It was really, these tickets were for they were for my now wife. They were, she was my girlfriend back then. She was supposed to pick these tickets up from Jersey into Philadelphia where I was living at the time. And she was going to take these tickets and go to this concert with her girlfriends. And for whatever reason, I can't even remember, but she couldn't make it. And so I said, hey, I got this extra ticket. I could sell it, but why? Let me go check out this concert for myself. I'm going to go in and see what it's all about. So I wound up being the plus one with my girlfriend's girlfriend's. And we were at this Destiny's Child concert. I watched for two, three hours as Beyonce performed. And she performed. And she performed. And she performed. In high heels. In bare feet. In slippers. She sang solo. She sang with the group. And not to be petty or anything, she outperformed them all. She outperformed them all. God bless Kelly. God bless, um, what's her name? Michelle. But God. Beyonce was on another level. She was incredible, incredible. She was incredible. She was in incredible shape. She was. She had extraordinary stamina. Kelly, I know she ran out of breath on some sets. Michelle ran out of breath on some sets. They needed to take some breaks. Beyonce kept going. She kept singing. She kept dancing. She kept performing. She knew all her moves. She kept playing to the crowd. She kept putting on a show outside of the show and it was just one random night she was performing in philly and then she would move on and i would hear that she did the same thing in brooklyn dc new york boston charlotte chicago atlanta miami every single night just singing dancing performing singing dancing performing she's nothing short of incredible i've always admired beyonce i have nothing bad to say about the woman i absolutely love her work ethic She sings songs for women because she is a woman. Hello? She reps black women because she is a black woman. So no, I'm not going to be running to watch her latest video every time. But whenever I do watch it, I'm always saying this to myself. I'm definitely entertained. She is, to me, the hardest working person in entertainment I've ever seen. Man or woman. So it's not like she hasn't earned this. And true to form, Black is King was an unforgettable one hour and 25 minutes of Afrocentric editing perfection. I know she didn't edit the video herself, but there wasn't one frame that was bad. There wasn't one video that was forgettable. There wasn't one song where she was off tune. There wasn't one dance that wasn't sharply choreographed. It was awesome. So let's take a moment to admire the work ethic, the boldness, the powerful display of performing arts 
Beyonce gave us. She is in the Hall of Fame of Entertainers first ballot. That much I know for sure. Now that we've gotten that part out of the way, let's talk about the Black is King and the imagery. Context. I've been a student of African studies for quite some time. I have an African wife. Okay, I have deep African interest. I have a library, a personal library of African literature from African authors. I have an African network of people. I'm pretty dialed in for the record. There was definitely some spiritual references in this video. Worship of African deities and gods and spirits and roots and things of that nature where you look at it and you're like, okay, okay. I mean... This is an African-American really getting deep into it. So a friend of mine had asked me via Facebook a little bit while a little while ago, my thoughts about leaving the church and Christianity. And after I had some criticism of the church I had on this post and she came back with that post and she wanted to, you know, she wanted to ask me where I was. And there's a growing trend and it's been growing for some time now where African-Americans, they're dabbling into African spirituality. They are rejecting Christianity and they're delving into religions and seeking the ways of the ancestors. And I can absolutely positively understand why. And it's relevant because, like I said before, Beyonce used to sing gospel songs at the end of her albums. She used to sing it with Destiny's Child. I remember because I was forced to listen to him via my wife. Thanks. But she used to. She used to always recognize Jesus. You always used to call on God. Not anymore. She's changed. Or at least her artistry has changed. And so it's relevant to talk about these type of things. Being African-American in the conceptual age economy, it finds us in a unique place where we are now looking to formulate a new normal. And there's a concept that I'm writing about in the upcoming book, uh, the Counter Economy, Finding Peace of Mind and Prosperity in Our Future, coming this winter. There's something that I like to call, it's something in this book that I call Consciousness Cancer. And Consciousness Cancer it has four stages. You've got exposure, you've got wokeness, you've got rage, and you've got numbness. Those are the four stages of Consciousness Cancer. And then after the numbness is death. Let me explain. There's the exposure. That's the moment where you realize you are what they call black. Black in America. Black in the Western world. Bigotry, racism, sexism, discrimination. You hear about something or you experience something that you say, damn, that's racist. That's unfair. That's not right. That doesn't add up. This is not good. Exposure. Then you have... Wokeness. That's the second stage. You begin to seek why you were, what you were exposed to happened. What did that mean? Why is this going on? How did we get here? And you study, you research, you read, you talk about it, and you figure it out. Damn, I'm awake to what's going on. I see why they did that. Wokeness. Then you have rage. Anger is a result of something that is unfair or painful that has not been addressed properly. If someone hurts you or if someone does something that you find to be unfair and that hasn't been properly addressed or made right, it's a gateway to anger. 
And rage is elevated anger. You found out why things are the way that they are. You found out about the middle passage. You found out about the nuances of slavery, how they would beat and whip and castrate and dismember you just for being African, for speaking your language. Is your name Kunta Kinte? No, you get a lash of the whip. It's Toby. You're enraged because your name was taken from you, your language, your culture, your food, your ways, your sense of community. You learn about how families were taken from one another and sold in auctions. You learn how slave masters rape women over and over again, taking their power, forcing them to have children. You learn about the revolts and the rebellions and the lynchings and the burning of towns and the Jim Crow laws and the murder of every revolutionary from Fred Hampton to Malcolm X to Martin Luther King to the exile of Asada Shakur, the war on drugs and the spiritually damaging, all-encompassing bastardization and perversion of our music with lyrics designed to incite hatred of one another and the defilement of our women in the pursuit of vanity. And then one day you look up and you see the police brutality. You see the brainwashed men who have been ground up through this complex American societal algorithm of racist, discriminatory crap. And their only objective is to harass women and sit on the block. And you see that the only way to get ahead or find this prosperity, to get this money, is to further indoctrinate yourself into the world of whiteness. Speak their language really well study their systems, perform and help others to get rich. Give your children a Eurocentric first name so it looks good on the resume. Take pride in the prestige of your last name, which just so happens to be handed to you from an oppressor and make you absolutely sure you don't question. Don't ever question leaving the church. After all, the church is good. Jesus is good. And it's good to be a good church-going Christian. Rage. Then it's numbness. You fight against the system. You march, you protest, you riot, you share all these social media memes and photos and messages. Arrest the cops that kill Breonna Taylor. Justice for George Floyd, for Trayvon Martin, for Sandra Bland, for Tamir Rice, for Amadou Diallo. Stop the violence in our black community. Stop the infighting amongst each other, our men and our women. Stop, stop, stop. I'm enraged. I want out of this trap. I want out of this place. I want out of this sick racist system that keeps me going to a job that I hate, smiling in the faces of people who can't stand me, collecting a check that isn't enough for me to live the life I've always wanted to live. How can I play this game better? What must I do? Why does it always seem like I'm coming up short? Why are we always on the losing side? I got to cope with this. I have to win this race. I have to figure this out. I got kids. I got to be able to deal with this. I too want my slice of the pie. So yes, I'll conform. I'll quiet down. Yes, I'll pretend to care. Yes, I'll continue the traditions. My kids will continue to have Eurocentric sounding last names and first names. We'll continue to speak English. We'll continue to be a part of the establishment. We'll continue to find ways to cope with the situation. Maybe we'll go to some events. Maybe we'll do the Cupid shuffle in the backyard. We'll find coping mechanisms to help us move forward. We will find spaces and places to do better. We'll take on a win in Rome, do as the Romans do mentality. We become 
numb. And in our numbness, the cycle continues. We never truly find that sense of freedom, a place where we are just in control of our expression, our territory, our space, our culture, our education, our laws. We just continue to conform. This is numbness. The conceptual age has arrived and there are a growing number of African-Americans who refuse to be numb to the trials and tribulations of being black in these United States of America. We refuse to be numb. We feel the pain and we embrace the pain. And for the first time, African-Americans are willing to take bold steps of exploring and identifying what they want their Africanness to be. And a part of finding that Africanness is auditing everything that we know, auditing everything we've been taught, that we've been shown and that we've been told to do. And we put it on trial, Christianity included. I don't blame any African-American that wants to put Christianity and the mundane routines of the church on trial. What exactly are these preaching preachers teaching us anyway? Why are we so defiantly dedicated to what we are being told in a Bible that was handed to us from Portuguese and English and French and Italian and Spanish settlers who came to visit, to conquer, to colonize? How do we trace? How do we tell? How do we know what is being taught is true? What we believe determines what we make true. So why do we believe this? Why do we believe it? What do we really want to believe? Years ago, I've had my own personal trial. I've called Jesus to the stand. I've had my questions. I've had my interrogations. I've called up witnesses. I've explored other options. I've taken secret trips to visit secret people to learn and understand what else is out there. And what I can tell you firsthand and from experience, and I want you to understand what I'm saying from the heart. Some things you just don't want to play around with. Knowledge is key. I'm telling you right now, and you don't, you don't want to play. Key word here is play. You don't want to play around with some of this stuff. You don't want to know what's going on. Who exactly are you praying to? Who exactly are you paying homage to, pledging allegiances to? What do they want in return? Are you aware of what sacrifices they're going to ask you for? Are you aware of what will happen if you can't produce these sacrifices? Are you sure you want to create a spiritual relationship with this deity, with this spirit? And this is not just me saying this. This is what I know and can confirm I've heard from several people from West Africa and East Africa. Again, know what you're serving. Know what it means before you try it. Get a thorough education. It's interesting because I see a growing number of African-Americans talking about their dabbles in African spirituality. And oddly enough, I come across Africans and Caribbeans who look at me and say, what the hell are y'all doing? Do you know what you're setting up for yourself? And this is why I say to be careful. 
As African Americans, we don't want to be so mesmerized by our fantasies and ideas of what Africa is as a continent that we lose sight of the reality of its complex history and its present. Trust and believe we've come very far as a people. Remember, African Americans were criticized, and rightfully so, for looking at Africa from the viewpoint of this poor, pathetic cesspool of disease and wildlife where its inhabitants were savagely ignorant and foolish and incapable of building any sort of infrastructure or having any sort of life. These viewpoints, they were established from a Western media that didn't have Africa's best interest at heart, ever. Some of us took that bait and were influenced to look down upon the Africans and the Caribbeans who have immigrated to the United States. And this has caused a ton of unnecessary conflict that still burns resentment in the hearts of many to this day. At the same time, there's a deep sense of miseducation from those coming to the United States that black Americans were these cultureless, educationless savages who have no ambition other than doing drugs and shooting people in the face while disturbing any peace and disrupting any order that can be ordered. And you have this sick, counterproductive, ethnocentric division that is slowly melting under this burning passion of a growing society of black Americans who have realized that Africa is a beautiful place. It's an extremely large continent, but it's a beautiful place. And that place... African-Americans were so desperate to find an identity and form an identity and a new way of life. And I don't think you get it unless you're African-American. There's a lot of us that want out and there's a lot of us that want in. Getting in, though, it means that we're going to have to dive into this very complex conversation. It's like the old uh, game of operation, but as a conversation, it's sensitive. One wrong statement can offend, disturb, or upset someone who misconstrues what you're saying and takes it the wrong way. What is Beyonce doing here with Black is King? Is she culturally appropriating African culture for her capitalistic endeavors? Is it a passion project she wanted to accomplish and put out there for the world to see because she's rich and wealthy and visible and she has the cachet to do it? Is this about embracing African spirituality and recognizing that we need to shift our way of thinking and actions to rise up from the oppression of white supremacy? Or is it just a visual movie for us to enjoy? What are we supposed to make of this, Beyonce? There's an article I read on MSN about being careful not to fantasize Africa as this wonderland. Quite frankly, I hated that freaking article because it wasn't like we don't watch all sorts of Eurocentric fairylands and mystical places. Camelot, Copernica, Narnia, to Oz, not the prison show, but the wizard show. Remember Westeros and Game of Thrones? We watched it for like six seasons. Alice's Wonderland. It's okay for us to envision these Eurocentric wonderlands, but it's a problem if we do it in Africa. Yeah, I know we had uh, Zamunda, which was a comical wonderland in coming to America. We didn't get to see a lot of it, but Black Panther's Wakanda. That was really the first fantasy land that ever hit the motion screen. If you're a friend of mine on Facebook, you'll see it for yourself. The backdrop of my Facebook page is Wakanda. 
it's it's it is Wakanda. It's probably the place that Nas was probably talking about in Belly when he wanted to flee America and get rid of all the gangbanging. Let's go to Africa. He was probably talking about a place like Wakanda. One thing is for sure, people are going to critique because there's this Game of Thrones sort of battle when it comes to black culture. There's a collision of black culture and its definition with entertainment and the way we see it and sell it and show it. Who gets to say how African music, imagery, patterns, practices, and cultural displays are displayed? Is it acceptable if a pop artist does it? Does it have to be a certain artist? Is it okay if a pop artist includes and encourages the participation of several African artists in a production run by an African-American on a white-run platform? Who gets to say how African music, imagery, patterns, practices, and cultural displays are displayed? Is it acceptable if a pop artist does it? Does it have to be a certain artist? Is it okay if that pop artist includes and encourages the participation of African artists in a production run by an African-American on a white-run platform like Disney? Should we nitpick the details or should we let it be? Trust and believe the debate will rage on and people will jump to their soapboxes and lay claim to the culture because the culture is important to us all. It's the seasoning of our lives. And that seasoning, it matters. So yeah, it's going to be a little frustrating, a little exasperating. You're going to see some think pieces. There'll be some reaction videos, podcasts, just like this one. But we need to go through this process. Beyonce, Black is King. This was more than a music video. Beyonce, Black is King. This was more than a music video. This was an imagination of our greatest hopes and our vision of what can be. This is what we want to conceptualize. This is what we are looking to create in the very near future. At the same time, African-Americans, even Beyonce, as frustrating as it can be to say this, We do need guidance in this journey. We need help. We can't pretend to know it all. We are reliant on native Africans and those who are intimate with what living in Africa is like, whether it's the developing cities like Kigali or Lagos or Nairobi or in the villages. We need guidance. We need context in our celebration. No, Africa is not a continent of Endless wars, crime, rape, disease, savage living, and undeveloped infrastructure. But it's also not a kingdom of roads paved in gold and diamonds dripping from the sky. And every spirit and every god is not a friendly, welcome home, my brother, sit down, my sister type of spirit. It's not a place where every person is a king or a queen. And it's not a place where every person is a poor pauper eating dirt for dinner. But for one hour and 25 minutes in the middle of a pandemic in an unpredictable American future where we are transitioning more power and structure than we could ever imagine, black was king. And so for that, I say thank you, Beyonce.
for continuing to change the game. Thanks for listening to the New Black Society podcast with Nate Wilson. You can subscribe to this podcast on any platform podcast play. See you next time.